Sesame Street has been on the air for nearly 50 years. So many people are involved in the making of it, but on today's show, we are taking a magnifying glass over just one of those people, one of the show's writers. So without further ado, Cookie Monster, take it away. Me, Cookie Monster, it's time to meet your cookie. No, no, it's not Cookie, it's Maker. Meet your Maker. Ah, Maker, yes, yes, me got it now. I'm Cookie Monster. It's time to meet your cookie. No, I'm nom, cookie. Nom, 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 delicious podcast cookies. I'm nom, 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 nom. Uh, just play the music. Ed Valentine, like pretty much every other kid in America over the past 48 years, was raised on Sesame Street. Yeah, Sesame Street was the show that taught me to read and taught me to write. Sesame was also my favorite type of show because it was a show that had a dual level. You know, there were jokes about monster piece theater. Tonight, we proud to present One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Story of number one and its historic flight over Cuckoo's Nest. You know, I knew that there was something more that I wasn't entirely getting, but it was okay for me. I wanted to know the joke more. I think the shows that I watched as a kid, I, I remember being very young, two, three, four, five, of watching things like Underdog, um, The Flintstones, The Andy Griffith Show, things that were perhaps really more adult shows. I do think those shows make kids smarter. Um, I think they made me smarter because... You know that there's a mystery. Somehow you know there's more that you're not getting, but you certainly enjoy it on, on that level. I think kids like striving for, for more understanding. I think it makes kids smarter. I was the kid, I think probably a lot of us were the kid that forced our families to, to watch us do you know the talent show or do the, I'm putting on a show, mom, come, come look at this. It was storytelling from an early age and then kind of took the form of words on paper. The performing and writing thing kind of developed at the same time. But as I grew up, he didn't really pursue the writing, or at least not straight away. I was actually working as a fourth grade teacher. I taught grammar school for a number of years. Somewhere in the middle of there, somewhere in that time, I, I realized that I had sort of moved away from the creative life that I had really wanted to live and had some talent for. I started taking writing classes with a, a beautiful playwright named Tina Howe, an American playwright. Tina was incredibly encouraging. I started producing plays with my friends in the class and we started putting on our own stuff. Eventually, Tina suggested that I really pursue this as, as a career, pursue writing. Ed's plays earned him a writing award in the class. And the following year, he won again. And the year after that... Well, I think you're getting the idea. Presenting the awards to the class was a guy called Lou Berger, who just happened to be the head writer of Sesame Street at the time. I introduced myself. He'd been kind of the man behind the curtain. He said, hey, why don't you come down and we'll, we'll talk? And from there, you know, a conversation started where I started the audition process of getting into Sesame Street. During that time, I'd actually started writing kids TV at NYU. So something strange also happened at the time, which is I, on a whim almost, I had no job after, I had nothing planned for after graduation, not at all. And I submitted one of my scripts to the Nickelodeon Writing Fellowship. And 
I got in. So that happened at the same time that, that Sesame was on this other track. So I guess it was all meant to be um, one way or the other. <laughs> so eventually, Ed made it to Sesame Street. It is surreal. You are stepping into this environment that you've seen, even though there's a green screen and the cameras and, and a Muppet box and, and a lot of work going on there. It's still very immersive in its own way because you're like, there's Superstore and there's the steps of one, two, three, and there's Oscar's trash can and Big Bird's Nest. And there it is all kind of 3D and tactile right in front of you. People often talk about grown people bursting into tears or or not kind of being able to control their emotions. Um, I, I was more controlled, but in, inside I was bursting into tears. And um, it, it's very special. It's a, it is a very special place to, to be in that environment. Part of what it means to us from having grown up with it, but also because it is in itself a very, a real place in a way. For me, when you do meet Grover or Abby, um, you're, or Ernie, you're, you're meeting Grover, Abby, and Ernie. The characters are in, in the hands of these really brilliant Muppeteers. They are those characters, and, and they put you at ease. I think one of the, the things that most everybody has experienced who's worked on the show is giving direction to or, or addressing the puppet themselves and then forgetting that the puppeteer under the table can't necessarily see you. You know, you're like, oh, Grover, you you just move this way or that way. And they're like, hey, not that I give direction as a writer, but watching that happen or watching somebody kind of forget that they're, because they are so alive and so present as characters, as as puppets, they're, they are real in their own way. Ed quickly got the hang of the writing process. The team of writers, at the time we had 10 of us all together, and we would get together occasionally in a room to bandy about ideas, or if they were launching a new segment on the show, we kind of talk about developing it together. There'd also be a, a large research component. So we would go to research meetings to hear about what their theme for the year was. So, you know, at one point it was STEM, which was science, technology, English, and math. Um, the next uh, year, I think they added an A for art, which so it became STEAM. At, at present, it's, uh, I guess, kinder, smarter, oh gosh, uh, uh, kinder, smarter, better. I forget what the new... Their, their new pushes. Those were sort of larger company-wide meetings to make sure that writers and everyone were, were really focused on the same educational goals. Writing for puppets isn't like writing for people, though. If you're right that the character has to get on her bike and cycle away, the puppeteers have to figure out how to actually do that. We're always encouraged to try to think through things that can be... Try not to do something that's impossible. At the same time... I think we're also encouraged to write something really crazy and outlandish, and then they'll figure it out. And that's pretty much what Ed does. I wrote an episode a couple of years ago with Grover trying to do too many things at one time. He wants to do everything. I can do just about anything. If you need your batter mixed up, there's a monster you should call. Just get the job to Grover because Grover does it all. And so I guess he ends up playing basketball at the same time he's playing an instrument, at the same time he's painting and trying to dance. He can't decide which one thing to do. So, you know, there were there, there were a lot of 
hands in that episode as well. A lot of people throwing sticks and horns and things all around. It is sort of fun for everybody to figure out a challenge as well. And and Sesame is a place where people like to take on a challenge. I really enjoyed writing for Grover. I, I tended to really gravitate to writing for Grover. First of all, I remember as a kid, he... Grover's, of course, changed a little bit over the years, too, in, in certain ways. I, I mean, I think one of the things that, that they used to do quite a lot with him was have him really talk directly to the audience, and and he could express those things of, I'm, I'm feeling sad, um, I'm, I'm feeling lonely. So there was, there was kind of a sweetness and a directness, but I, I also really respond to Grover's kind of manic energy and his goofiness. Waiter at your service, sir! Waiter, there's a fly in my soup. Could you do something about it? There is a fly in your soup in yeah. this establishment? Yeah. I shall do something about it instantaneously. And it's it's very sweet and endearing when he when he learns. And sometimes doesn't learn, you know? All right, sir. All right, sir. I think I think I shall be making you very happy with this. Here we are, our special soup of the day. And what kind of soup is that? Cream of mosquito. So yeah, Grover was Grover was a thrill to write for, but all of them it was it, it always was was a fun experience to to write for the Muppets. Where's my tip? I think for anyone hoping to work in the profession, I, I think the, the key is to find a show that you really like and to watch a lot of shows, to read a lot of scripts, to know the characters very well, because you really need to make sure that you're writing those characters as they are, not, you know, once the show's, once, once a character of a show is set, that character still has to sound like that character. So I've been lucky in that I, I, I do have an ear for that. I can catch the characters and get them down on the page. Ed is a three-time Daytime Emmy winner for children's TV writing for Sesame Street, so he knows what he's talking about. It's the night that we celebrate our daytime family, and especially tonight's important because we're celebrating the people behind the scenes who you don't see all the time. This is the night for them to shine, and they're shining if you look around. You know, we won as a, as a writing room and, and won for the season. That's how that works. So we were all recognized. You know, for me, it's kind of a crazy experience, right? Like, we're you win this this thing that you've seen on TV this this bizarre statue with sharp wings and and a crown like what is that and what do I do with that where do I put it it was an interesting insight into the business because you know as as I always try to remind myself during those things that the work is the reward and the work is out there um and whether or not you you win or lose something, the work is is what matters. It's very lovely to win and really proud of being a part of a, a winning team for that show, but I'm really mostly proud to be working on that show. And listen, that's lovely and admirable, but where do you keep your Emmys? The first two are on the piano. They are surrounded by dinosaurs. Um, they they are, I, I like to pose my dinosaurs so they are uh, kind of both threatening them or, or, and they're sort of clawing at them with their little T-Rex hands. The third is, is, is actually still in its box um, because I need to find um, 
I, I, I've kind of, I have to confess, I, I actually have not been at the ceremony when we've won. I've been to the ceremony twice, and they, they were both times that I did not win. Uh, and um, I was all dressed up, and it would have been, that would have been really fun. But that kind of puts it in perspective, too. Because, yeah, when I've been there, it's, it's only been when it didn't work out sort of in our favor. I'm waiting to open the third one at a time when, you know, when kind of, it felt like a weird thing to open in your apartment alone when it was delivered. Like, here's... Here's my box. I've, like, like you should have opened a bottle of prosecco or something and had a little. But, uh, yeah, like I want to. I want to get my, you know, my friends together and we'll we'll all do it together and you know and everybody can take pictures with it. That's that's what's really fun about that. Edna writes for all sorts of kids shows: Doc McStuffins, My Little Pony, The Fairly Odd Parents. I still want to keep doing the. The work on the TV shows, I, I really enjoy it, you know, and, and certainly keep finding shows that are clever and witty. My Little Pony, I worked on Doc McStuffins, um, shows that certainly Sesame, Astro Blast, shows that are both fun and have something to say, shows that, you know, make a difference in some way and touch people in some way. So I, I do want to keep doing that, but I think what's really important to me is that I start creating and and start getting more of my own work out there in the world. As you know, I came here for the Dublin Lesbian and Gay Theater Festival, which is a fantastic festival, and it's the first time I've ever had a play done in Europe. I realized that this week. I was like, "Oh, I'm that that was that's really cool. Like I'm really excited to be over here sharing a play that I wrote 13 years ago, and I have tons of plays out there that that I still would love to see the light of day that I haven't be, during the time I was working so hard on on television and flying back and forth to, from New York to LA that I, I hadn't gotten kind of enough of my own writing work out there in the world. So I'm back to writing some plays, full length and shorts. I have some TV shows that I'm I'm pitching, some with puppets, really focusing on making sure that I look, I'm I'm I do have a talent for slipping into other people's voices on a show, and you do need to be a bit of a minor bird to to catch the tone and the characters and the and the plot of a, a pre-existing show. I've been spending a lot of time doing that, and need to also spend as much or more time giving vent to the the, the ones that are running around in my own brain and my own head. Um, hopefully, there'll be some children book work in there. That's something I'm I'm starting to do. But yeah, for me, it's the next year and the next few years. I hope are about making sure that that I'm writing in my own voice and honoring the original work that I really have within me and that I really want to put out in the world. How do you get to Sesame Street? Uh, you, uh, that is a great question. Do you know? I'm not sure anyone's ever asked me that on the air. Uh, how do you get to Sesame Street? Um, is there like a GPS location? Is there a GPS location? Um, I, I, I know it's in Kaufman Astoria Studios, but but I think where how you really get to Sesame Street is, um, well, I'll tell you this. I think Sesame Street was for me uh, the first. It, it, it was a, we talked before about it being having a real quality of of the set, but the street is in its way a real place. Um, it was the first integrated neighborhood I lived in. I think the interplay of humans and Muppets, the Sesame Street Muppets, taught me lessons that uh, that were beyond the reading and writing, and and 
and that were about kindness and living together and sharing and getting along. So for me, the way to get to Sesame Street is to follow those lessons. We've we've been there, I think, as as people and as grown-ups, the answer is to follow them back by by following those things that we learn, the kindness, um, togetherness, cooperation, selflessness, um, and diversity of, uh, of, of living together and helping each other to, to be better. Can you tell me how to get, how to get to Sesame Street? How to get to Sesame Street? How to get to Sesame Street? How to get to Sesame Meet Your Maker was produced and hosted by me, Liam Garrity. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. While I have you, I just want to give you the heads up on a brand new show I'm hosting. It's History's Vikings Podcast. It's an eight-episode series about the making of the Vikings TV show. Over the last few weeks, I've been down on set in Wicklow, Ireland, meeting some absolutely incredible people behind all aspects of the show, like the show's creator and writer, Michael Hurst, to the pilot director, Johan Renk, who, by the way, also directed David Bowie's last music video, to the amazing Catherine Winnick, who plays the kick-ass Lagertha on the show, to Einar Selvik, a Norwegian musician who creates music for the show using the oldest Scandinavian instruments available. It is just a wonderful band of creative people doing what they love. And you can subscribe to History's Vikings podcast right now. There's already two episodes up and six more to come. They are weekly until the premiere of Vikings Season 5 on November 29th. And if you enjoy Meet Your Maker, I promise you, you'll enjoy the Vikings podcast. And speaking of Meet Your Maker, I have a favor to ask, especially if you were listening to us in the U.S., Could you rate and review the show on iTunes? It brings the show to the attention of other awesome people like you who might enjoy it. Okay, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 